0: Well, as we continue in our series, Tough Questions, throughout the summer we've had a number of people ask questions that have to do with baptism, and so I've tried to put them all together today into one area so that we can talk about those things, talk about baptism, and then some of the questions that have been asked in regard to that, what about those who aren't baptized, and so that's really the question that we came with today, what if I'm not baptized? And we're going to look at that, at some of those questions, and we're going to take them kind of individually and try to answer those as best we can. So the first slide deals with those questions that surround baptism as we look at that. You see these three questions. Is baptism a directive from God and a necessity to be saved? Were all of Jesus' disciples baptized? And do we have evidence that the early church baptized infants? And we're going to take first that first question in two parts first the directive and then talking about the other aspect now our theologians say this about baptism in the book of concord baptism is not a mere church rite but a divine ordinance which is to be in force until the end of time and must be observed by all christians it is a directive And we draw that from the next slide, which shows you the two passages of Scripture, one that we read this morning as our Gospel, the other from Matthew in that section that we call the Great Commission. You see those two phrases. He said to them, "...go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved." But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then in Matthew, and then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now as we look at that, I want you to look at the Matthew one, because that first and foremost is the longer and is that great commission. And it's important that we understand why this is a directive, really what we call a command. That word, therefore in the Greek, is based upon the previous statement, because all authority, as Jesus has said, has been given to him in heaven and on earth. All things belong to him. All things are in subjective, sub- subject to him. Therefore, because of that, we are to do this. So it is as a result of the fact that Jesus is our Lord and King, and the King is issuing to us a proclamation. It is the proclamation to make disciples. And it is what we call in the Greek an imperative. It is basically the phrase, this is to be done. But it's also important that we know that the phrase that follows that, therefore is tells us how we are to do it. And the order of the words is important. Two things make disciples. First of all, that we baptize. Second, that we teach. And to change the order of those words, to say teach first and then baptize, is a mistranslation of what the Greek actually says. We are to go into the world and make disciples by baptizing them and then by teaching them. So is it a directive? Is it a command? Yes, it is. It is a command that Jesus has given to us, His church, to go into all the world, to baptize all nations and all people. And then the second part of that question then is, baptism necessary to be saved? Well, and I answer that, yes and no. Obviously, yes from the command. We are told that we are to baptize. But again, our theologians say this, God has bound us, his church, to these means of grace, but he himself is not bound to them. I say that because that verse in Mark that says to us, he that believes and is baptized will be saved, he that does not believe will be condemned. It does not say he that is not baptized. We know that the proclamation of the gospel creates faith in the hearts. We talked about faith last week and what it means in that trust, in that reception of those gifts that Christ has given us on the cross. But whenever we are able, we are to baptize, we are to follow that command. And again, our theologians say this, if men can be saved without baptism, The reason is not setting baptism against the proclamation of the gospel, but that God in his infinite grace offers to the sinner already through the word of the gospel his entire grace and complete pardon. This does not, however, make baptism superfluous, but only that God in his great love and grace gives us that grace and forgiveness, not merely in one way baptism saves us hearing the word of god and the gospel proclaimed as paul said i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god into salvation hearing the word saves us both of these things baptism and hearing create faith but as i said if we are able we honor our king's command And if we are not able to honor it, if the situation is that there isn't time to baptize somebody and it doesn't happen, then we know that the proclamation of the gospel, the word of the Lord, is able to create faith. And we rest in that fact. What we are not to do ever is to despise baptism, to say it's not necessary. It is the command we have been given. Let's look then at that next slide And the second question, the question that was asked, were Jesus' disciples baptized? Well, the Scripture tells us, yes, that they were. They were John's disciples before they were Jesus. Remember, John is the forerunner of Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene, he pointed his disciples to say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John's baptism was for the repentance and forgiveness of sins. It was a valid baptism, because as John was the forerunner of Jesus, so his baptism would end when Jesus would come. We know that Jesus was baptized also by John to do all things, as he said, to fulfill all righteousness. John's baptism was valid, it was good, the disciples were baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins, but he was of the old covenant, still of the Old Testament prophets. The old covenants were ending, the covenant of circumcision, the covenant of the Passover and would be replaced when Jesus came by the new covenants of baptism and of the Lord's Supper. But yes, they were baptized. And then that third question on the next slide. Do we have evidence that the early church baptized infants? And for that, I want to give you the next slide, which is a timeline. I want you to try and get your head around this and understand this. This timeline shows you five people and kind of the times. Now, the Apostle John, Jesus' disciple, lived until 100 A.D., His disciple was a man by the name of Polycarp, from 69 to 155. His disciple, a man by the name of Irenaeus of Lyon, from 100 to 200 AD. And then Clement of Alexandria, 150 to 215. And then a man by the name of Origen, 185 to 254. I say that because you see the overlaps here. These people handed to the next generation what was taught. The Apostle John handed to the church and to the leaders of the church what Jesus had taught them firsthand. It was handed then to the next. So we're only talking about really four generations away from the Apostle John. I say that because I have a quote from Origen that I'd like you to see. Now Origen's not the only one who talks about this of the early church fathers but he's very direct in what he says. And he says this about the church and infant baptism. Christian brethren often ask a question. Little children are baptized for the remission of sins. Whose sins are they? When did they sin? No man is clean of stain, not even if his life upon the earth had lasted but a single day. And through the mystery of baptism, the stains of birth are put aside. For this reason, even small children are baptized. For unless born of water and the Spirit, one cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The next slide. On this account also, the church has a tradition from the apostles to give baptism even to infants. For they to whom the secrets of the divine mysteries were given, meaning the apostles, knew that there is in all persons the natural stains of sin, which must be washed away by the water and the spirit. And so the church, yes, baptized infants and did so for 1,500 years at the command of Jesus and through his disciples. And it wasn't until the Reformation and the age of enlightenment and the age of reason that other leaders in the Reformation began to question that. Began to say that well it isn't just faith, it's faith plus reason as we talked about last week. That we need to be able to make a confession of our faith. Not realizing that baptism is the very thing that is able to create faith in the hearts of all people. That we are not the judges of faith that God is the judger of faith. And so they jettisoned those things that we call the sacraments by saying well water can't do such things bread and wine can't do such things elements of this earth it's not rational they can't be coupled with the word of God and the phrase would be that the infinite meaning God cannot take on the finite things of earth and so Jesus can't be present in his body and blood at the altar in bread and wine and the word of God combined with the water can do nothing to create faith that was what happened in the reformation But up until that point, it was handed down from the apostles, as Origen said, that baptism of infants was something that the apostles did and gave to the early church for the forgiveness of sins. Well, let's look at the next set of questions that don't have to do with baptism, but have to do with knowing Jesus or not knowing Jesus and whether or not people are condemned to hell. We have these two questions. If children die without knowing Jesus... Do they go to hell? This doesn't seem fair. What happens to all the peoples of the world, past and present, who never had an opportunity to know Christ? Are they doomed to hell? Similarly, are those who reject Christ doomed to hell? Now, a couple years ago, during the summer, we had a series called Mythbusters, and we tackled this question about hell. Knowing that Those who go to hell, that is in their choice to reject Jesus Christ. We also said it is not in our realm as pastors or as the church to make that determination. That alone is in God's judgment. And for the church ever to say someone is going to hell is to overstep our bounds. We have been given what we call the office of the keys in the church. It's based on John 20 where Jesus says this, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is a power that is given to the church though, to you, the people. It isn't given to us as pastors, it belongs to you to exercise as the church. But it's only to be used in the church for those who are in the church. It is not for us to take into the realm of the world and make determination on what belongs to God. And here again, our theologians say the following, "...with regard to infants of believers who die without baptism, it is best to commend them to God's infinite mercy, who has the power to work faith also without the ordained means of grace." Just as in the Old Testament, female infants were included in the covenant of circumcision. With respect to all others who are unbelievers, we cannot say that anyone can be saved apart from faith in Christ. But here, rather, we confront the unsearchable judgments of God, which warns us that we should not reason in our thoughts, draw conclusions, or inquire into matters that are God's alone. You see, as the church, what we have been given is what we know for certainty, what we believe, teach, and confess, and proclaim. We know that there is salvation in Jesus, that in his name we may be saved. We know that fact, and that is what we have been called through that great commission to take out into the world. It is not in our realm to condemn people. It is our job to bring this hope into the world. I like the quote that this question was asked, and it's asked a lot of times in new member class by many people throughout time, but it was also asked one time of Charles Spurgeon, and he gives this answer about people being saved who have never heard the gospel. My greater question is whether we who have heard the gospel and failed to give it to those who have not heard, can be saved. You know, it's the parable that Jesus gave in the Bible of the talents. Some were given ten talents, one five, and one one talent. And he took that talent and he buried it in the ground. We have been given a precious gift in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have been given it not to bury it in the ground, not to keep it for ourselves, but to take it into the world so that all can hear of the wonders that Jesus has done for all mankind. Never to bury it, never to keep it. And I wonder when the church is called to account on that day of judgment, whether there will be those standing there that will be able to say to us, why did you never let me know what a precious gift you had been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ? May our hearts always burn as the people of God, as we have done in this series to say that we can give answer for the hope that is in us, that we can speak with gentleness and love of what Christ has won for us on the cross. It's the very thing that we pray in the petition in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Do you remember what Martin Luther's explanation is to that? The Lord's kingdom certainly comes on its own, but we pray in this petition that it would come among us also, that we would take the talent that we have been given, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul said, not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God for salvation, and that we would take it into the world knowing that it has the power to change hearts and lives, to create faith and to bring peace to people who are in darkness. We are to baptize. We are the church called to do these things by the blessings of God. We all sit here recipients of grace upon grace this morning. May we never forget what a precious gift that is. May we never forget that there are still those who have never heard this word. May we encourage and send out missionaries into lands and continue in our own lives to speak of this truth in love to those around us so that the peace of Jesus Christ, our Savior, might dwell in the hearts of all people and that all would someday hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.